fans, and welcome to another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. For the third time in a row, I am doing the intro, and it's really weird. But JJ will be back from his cruise, I think, next week. I don't know. It's snowing in Colorado now, so if he takes a little bit of a longer break, totally fine. But we have a couple replacements here today. One of them we've had before. The other one we have not. Starting with Peter Baugh, the athletic, everybody's new favorite guy on the beat. And Kate Shefty, who's been here for a little bit longer than Peter and I, but she knows her hockey. She covers college, and now she covers the Avalanche over at the Gazette. Say hi, guys. Hello. What's up? Thanks for having us. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to do this as a bit of a roundtable edition, get a couple minds together to talk about the Avalanche's last couple games and some other topics of discussion. Starting from the top, the Avalanche beat the Detroit Red Wings, and that's a sentence that a 10-year-old me love to say it usually wasn't Red Wings or Detroit. It was more like dead things or dead wings or any of the like, but the avalanche came out and scored for the third straight game, seven straight goals or seven goals. I should say for the third straight game, uh, sixth time, I think in 14 games. Now they're scoring a lot of goals. That's, that's the point of the conversation here with another seven to three win. Uh, give me your initial thoughts on the game. What you guys think of the Avs' offense right now and just how long they can keep this up for Peter. Well, my first thought is, uh, just a very aesthetically pleasing game considering the Red Wings have the best uh, uniforms in the NHL with their their white white jerseys. I'm willing to die on this hill. Um, I think they look great. Well, we're done here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Peter yesterday told us at Morning Skate that he's going to have a hot take that the Red Wings road jersey is the best jersey. I personally love the Red Wings jerseys. I think they're great. They're classic jerseys. But he kind of gave it a little bit of a test in the media room, and everybody kind of bashed him for it. And then did you end up going live on Twitter with that? Yeah, okay. I believe it. I don't, I, how, how many followers have you lost? I don't think I've lost any. I, I definitely got some. Uh, one of the people on Twitter has given me a hockey nickname and calls me Bozzy. Um, <laughs> which I enjoy. Um, so he didn't like that. Um, but yeah, from from a hockey perspective, it was another uh, pretty thorough game from the Avalanche. I think you you see how dangerous this team can be when it has three lines scoring, and if it gets a fourth line scoring too, that's even better. I still think there's defensive things to, to clean up, and I think that's going to be kind of the theme the rest of the season. It's kind of like we're at an interesting point where we know the Avalanche are very good. Um, we've seen how they can perform offensively and it's reaching the point of the season where, you know, they're going to make the playoffs and none, nothing really matters until then. Um, sorry, you still read my work, but that, that's kind of where we are <laughs> in the season. Um, but I think that it, it, you, you saw some really encouraging things. I mean, if Andre Barkowski gets going, he can be really, really dangerous. JT Comfort, maybe it wasn't his best game, but he scored in his first game back. He's, he's looking He's looked really good this season when he's been in the lineup. So you've got some really encouraging things. And Nathan McKinnon's getting going. So Devon Taves obviously was a big part of the offense for the fourth straight game. He had a multi-point effort. It was all assists. We thought he scored that first goal, but I know the defense is struggling defensively right now. Well, actually, the entire team as a whole kind of, you know, that five-man unit on the ice is struggling defensively. But even the defense is pitching in offensively. Like, have you ever seen a player like Devon, who isn't looked at as this offensive guy, just suddenly come out and burst out on the seat and score like this. Yeah, early in the Avs road trip, it kind of felt like they were outscoring their issues. But one encouraging sign that I think we've seen lately is a bunch of like several teams on that road trip, and it happened again last night, uh, teams will close the gap and the Avs will just turn it on and, you know, just suddenly drop three more goals. And I think that's 
like Peter said, you know, this time of the season is kind of weird, but I do think that's a very encouraging sign going forward that even when they let up a little bit, which is, you know, human, uh, they know when to kick it in and not let teams hang around. And I think that's been an encouraging sign that we've seen recently. And uh, Devontae's has been just, yeah, just un, un, somewhat unheralded uh, compared to his defensive partner, Kale McCarr, but has just been, they, they just missed him so much in the beginning of the year. He's such a good puck move, moving defenseman. He doesn't make huge mistakes. Like Never. Mans just no. is back there, rock solid, and then can just jump in on the play and he's just very gifted offensively. And he, it's, it is wild. I feel like when, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, when they picked him up in a trade, yes. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, everyone's like, oh, depth, def- depth defenseman. Yeah. The, then, conver- the yeah. conversation was, is he going to take Ryan yeah. Graves' spot or is he going to play on the third pair with Ian Cole? And then it was like, oh, he's in camp and he's with Kel McCard. Everyone was like, oh, that's weird. And now they like can't do, they are just not as good of a puck moving team without him. He is, he is so important to their success. He as important as anybody is. If you look at his numbers, it's fucking nuts. I mean, he, he 19, he's plus 19 in 15 games. Plus minus is a it can be a flawed metric, but if you're plus 19 in 15 games, you're doing something right. Um, He has, I think 20 points and he, as Kate mentioned, just doesn't make mistakes defensively. The, my favorite thing about his game is the old school slap shot from the blue line that he has underrated. So underrated and always finds the back of the net. We're still trying to figure out if JT really got a stick on that puck yesterday, but really sure when it happened, he did. No, I thought it was JT from the beginning. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. So we were confused about it. Then we saw the replay and altitude did like the slow motion replay where JT kind of like brings his stick back as the puck is passing it. It's like, I still couldn't tell, but apparently somebody said that JT celebrated like it wasn't him, but whatever. The puck moved. Yeah, yeah, I, I did see a little bit of that. So I think it did touch him. Regardless, he's up to seven assists in his last three games, which is just mind-boggling. He's up to 20 points, like you said, in 15 games. He's the sixth highest points per game player, not defenseman, player in the NHL for anybody that's played 10 games. So that takes out Pacioretty, who's played, I think, seven, and uh, some of the guys played two. He's sixth, and two of the guys ahead of him are Nathan McKinnon and Nazem Kadri. So that's where the Avalanche are offensively right now. Their stay-at-home defenseman on the first pair, you know, the Mark Mathot to your Eric Carlson, is a guy scoring all these points. But I kind of want to touch on a point that you mentioned a second ago where the Avalanche know how to turn it on. So you guys were both here last year as well. We watched the Avalanche come out, outshoot teams 40 to 20, 40 to 25, pretty much game after game after game. But they would have a hot period, and that hot period would win them games. Aside from that, They would not let up a lot of shots. Now it seems like they still have that hot period. Yesterday they had six goals before halfway through, and then the only thing they got the rest of the way was an empty netter. But they're letting in a lot of shots. They're letting a lot of opportunities on the power play, uh, or sorry, on the penalty kill power play for the other team, even at five on five. The Red Wings had 40 shots. What's different this year? And like you said, nothing really matters until you get to the playoffs right now. Like what do they need to clean up? Because something is off defensively as a team. That just wasn't off last year. And it's not Kemper versus Grubauer. There's something more to that right now. Yeah, I think there's they're, they're careless with the puck in ways they weren't last year at points. And all this stuff can be remedied um, by the end of the year. But I think if you're looking at what's a little different right now is last year, they just didn't make that many mistakes with the puck. They didn't let other teams get chances going the other way. Whereas this year, you see like like last night, for example, you take the, the – um, the Red Wings' first goal and the Mesnikovs. Um, you had Andre Burkowski kind of gets pickpocketed, which isn't ideal. You don't want that. Um, Benner didn't put that much responsibility on him. 
But Jacob McDonald, the defenseman, activates in a situation he didn't need to activate in. So now suddenly the Red Wings have an odd man rush, um, and Jack Johnson doesn't play the odd man rush particularly well. So it's it's kind of a that, – that to me is an example of the types of plays the Avs have made this year that to an extent they weren't making last year. And that's something that when Devon Taves says – which he did after the game that the scary thing is, is we haven't played our best hockey yet. That's he's what he's talking absolutely about. Right. Yeah. He's 100% right. And that's the weird thing about it. Like last year when they were letting in a lot of goals, it was like, you know, Hunter Miska might not be ready for the NHL or Jonas Johansson just got here and lets in a goal on his first shot or Grubauer had a bad five minutes, which wasn't something we said a lot, but this year it's, it's, it's these really strange breakdowns that weren't happening, but you're kind of seeing it around the league. I mean, Tampa Bay is kind of going through the same thing. Obviously they've played a lot of hockey, but offensively, things are working. Defensively, things are not. But that one kind of brings me to the conversation I want to have about the goaltending. Darcy Kemper. So two of the goals he let in yesterday. The Nemesnikov, you can't blame him can't on that. Can't blame him. No, absolutely not. The other two are bad. The other two are bad. And they were pretty damn bad. The 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 tough angle shot that came on, I think it was a, it was a power play goal, right? The one that came up the board. Oh, no, no. The other one no. was a power play. But the one that came up the boards where Joe Valeno literally like snuck it through him in the post somehow and Kemper six foot five and massive and couldn't cover the post was a bad goal. And then the power play wasn't any better. He couldn't get down to block a one-timer from Hironic from way beyond God knows where, where it looks like all he had to do was be in position and he makes that save, but he tried to bring like one of his pads down. Just What's happening with Kemper? Because we saw him make a lot of good saves, but we also saw that, and actually Bednar actually echoed that as well. He made a lot of good saves, but he had two bad goals. What's the deal with Darcy? I feel like we were saying the exact same thing about Philip Grubauer at this point last season. See, but the thing I is, don't know if we were. I feel like he there, would make stand on his head and then allow in a garbage goal, and that was. And I feel like we've had this conversation, and it worked. It was worked out. Just so right. it did happen with Grubauer. The only difference is Grubauer didn't face 40 shots against a bad team like the Red Wings. It, he faced 20 and 15 against the bad teams. The at the and, and, but the thing is though, with Grubauer is he had multiple shutouts at this point last year. Grubauer's advanced metric, Darcy Kemper's among the league's like worst goalies in yeah. terms of goals saved above expected. Now I give him some, like, I, I, I think that that can be a little misleading because a lot of that comes from the one really bad week he had against, I think, Ottawa, and then there was the Anaheim game where his skate... The third period up. against Seattle. And there was then, like, how much time are yeah. we talking about here? Yeah. So, cause <laughs> there was... Because he had an eight-game stretch where he was very solid. He was yeah. slightly above average. And if Darcy Kemper is slightly above average, the Avalanche are going to win a lot of games. And then the question just becomes if he can be anything more than slightly above average and how good the Avalanche can be if he's... Slightly above average. I think he's been, since he's come back from injury, I think he's been slightly above average. Um, I think he was fine last night, fine against New York, maybe a little bit above average. But you do want to clean up on some of those goals. And if he can get back to what he was in 2020, that's where the team's ceiling goes up a level. And I I, I will push back on, I think Philip Grubauer was really good last year. There's he was. A, there's a reason he was, I think maybe some other years, that was a maybe a little more of a debate. But last year he was, I think he was leading the league in shutouts and he was top three in Vesna voting for a reason. And Kemper has just not, the goalie position has been a downgrade this year, which isn't entirely shocking. It's also really hard for goalies to change systems. You see, like Grubauer struggled in Seattle. Flurry has struggled in uh, Chicago. Chicago yeah. He's picked it up a bit, but like Olmark got off to a slow start in Boston. Like these are all good goalies who are struggling a little bit. So the question isn't what Darcy Kemper is now. It's like what can he be? 
What can matters. he be? And do the Avalanche need to make him? What do the Avalanche think he can be? Because this isn't a year you mess around and like hope for the best. This is a year you've got to make moves because they've got a chance to win it all. So that's the thing that you mentioned the the change of systems. Grubauer was at the height of his powers last year with the Avalanche, but things haven't started out well for him in Seattle. Mark Andre Fleury, same thing. But there's something to be said, and I'm not taking away from Grubauer. He was he was unbelievable last year. He was closing out games. He had shutouts. He would have those bad goals, but they would always come in games where you knew the Avalanche were going to win. Otherwise, he would have a shutout. But the thing with Grubauer was that he was so like invested in the system because he had been here for three years and the avalanche were at the height of their powers in terms of playing that system properly because there wasn't much turnover but then they had a lot of turnover they brought in a lot of new forwards they got rookies in their lineup and alex newhook and guys like that curtis mcdermott curtis curtis mcdermott's playing jack johnson's new to the system on the defensive side ryan murray was you know playing you know finally starting to get better before he got hurt where a lot of what philip grubauer did last year was because of how good he played, but it was also because of how good the Avalanche played around him, where if you take the Philip Grubauer of last year, somehow in this other world and put him on the Avalanche team this year, I think he's going to let in goals like Kemper is right now. And he's not going to have the same numbers he had last year, but you know, it goes back to the point that the Avalanche have to clean things up in order for Kemper to look good, which goes back to the point that you said that this team just needs a goalie to be good. They don't need a Vasilevsky back there to win. They just need somebody to hold the fort down like Niemi did in Chicago or Corey Crawford or, you know, Chris Osgood made a living in Detroit doing that. Just guys like that. Absolutely agree. And I mean, it was what we were just talking about. They are letting a lot more past. And I think, I think they miss Ryan Graves. I think he filled a function that hasn't, that they don't, you know, they're kind of missing right now. And I mean, they've, they've got some good replacements in there. It's just different dynamic. And yeah, they, they're allowing a lot. They're letting a lot more pass. And I do wonder if what you said, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, nothing matters until you get to the playoffs at this point. I wonder if that thought has set in a little bit and it's like, you know, they know they're good. They know they're going to score a million. They know that they, you know, if they let a little bit past, it's not, it's not the end of the world and they're probably still going to win. I'm going to quote Miracle because that's what I do. <laughs> um, you know, and he goes, gentlemen, you do not have enough talent to win on talent alone. Yeah. The Avs do. They yeah. they can still win. I mean, even if they even if they're cheating, which everybody has you know said happens fairly regularly with this team. You know, they're they're going for the home run. They're going for the flashy play. They're not you know grinding. They did do a good job of that last night, in fairness. But they will sometimes go for the pretty play instead of doing you know the smart play, and a little bit more than last season that's happening. And it's just because they know that they're going to get there eventually. And it you know they don't. I don't know. Different season, different issues, but yeah, totally. They're different teams. It's it's not as it's funny that they're scoring as much as they have because I would not have thought going into the year this team is not as deep as last year's team. Um, although maybe now that you're seeing some guys like Newhook progress, it seems like Nachushkin's maybe taking another step. Nazem Kadri's having a career year. Then suddenly maybe it is a little more like oh maybe this team is as good as last. That that is the path to this team being as good as last year. But like the thing with hockey that's weird is that like I remember talking to Andre Burkowski about this um, earlier this year in Washington he said that in Washington the year they won the cup he was on that team he was like that was not the year I expected us to win the cup that was not the year I thought we had the best team and sometimes it's just about what goes right in the playoffs when you find your groove because last year like the Avalanche were good enough to win the Stanley Cup or at least be in the cup final with Tampa. They peaked too soon. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, or they just lost their game. And that happens. So like it's like 
the Avs might not be as good as last year, and it ultimately might not mean that they don't win a Stanley Cup. No, that's a funny thing. Because, I mean, even the Avalanche last year, their team, they lost so much talent from it the way that the Capitals did in 2018. But it's just kind of matters of when you click at the right time, when you kind of bring it all together. And then obviously the competition, it's who's who's around you and how good are they doing? And do you have an easier route to the final than you would have, you know, maybe a year ago? Like look at Toronto. They're they're on fire right now. They have a better points percentage than the Avs. They're third in their division. They're behind Florida and they're behind Tampa. So it just, there's a lot of things involved in what makes a cup winner. But I want to go back to your point about the goalies and playing in new systems. Kate, do you remember Philip Grubauer's first year with the Avalanche? Sure. Do you remember how If you ba- ask me to name the year, I don't even know what month. I, is, so. After COVID, I don't even know either. Yeah. That's that's not the point. The point is <laughs> they brought him in. Semyon Varlamov was on the last year of a deal. Yeah. And the idea was Grubauer is going to play with Varley for a year and then see you later, Semyon. Thanks for the seven or eight or nine years or whatever the hell it was at that point. But we're going to go to Gruby. But then as the season went on, Varley was playing better. And Gruby was his backup. And he had like an 890 and Varley was up to like a 915. You know, not the best safe percentages. But then suddenly March came around. Gruby went on this crazy run, led the avalanche to the playoffs, and was the goalie against Calgary, was the goalie against San Jose. That's ultimately what you're hoping for with Kemper right now. But like you said, you can't mess around with this season. This isn't fool's gold like it was in 2019. This isn't playing with, you know, just all this excitement of being a number eight seed that just squeaked into the playoffs. This is a team that needs to win the cup now. So... When, in either of your opinions, is it time to say we need to bring help for Darcy Kemper if it doesn't get to that point? Well, I think you've got to look at uh, Pablo Fransos is a big element of that because if he comes back and looks great, then all of a sudden you've got two goalies that are capable of being hot, two goalies that are a little injury prone, which is a little concerning. But I, I think that when you get to that point, if Fransos gets hurt again or if he looks off, that's when I think you've got to start questioning things. Cause I think Darcy Kemper, I'm not, none of this is like to, to trash Kemper. I think he's, he's been pretty good over, like he's been, he's been okay. And I think he has potential to be good. Like he's one of the two goalies you want in the, like when you head into the playoffs, the question is if you need another one. Um, and I think if the abs make a move, it's gotta, it can't just be getting a Devin Dubnik type because at the end of the day, that's not the type of goalie who can win you a playoff series. You know, like that's that's maybe he could have won the series against St. Louis last year, but he wasn't beating Vegas. And so he's in the AHL now. He just signed a contract. Charlotte yeah, Checkers. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I hope he's doing well. I Me like too. to. I think he's gonna play for Team Canada at the Spangler Cup too. Oh, he's, cool. He's one of those goalies out there as well. Yeah. So like, I, I think that you've got. You've got to get someone who's capable if you do make a move. So I mean, and this is pure speculation, not anything reported. But you look at like a guy like Jake Allen in uh, Montreal, who's got two a year after this year left on his deal, pretty team friendly contract. Is someone who is certainly a very good number two, maybe can fill in as a number one in a in a playoff series. So I I, I wonder. I think it depends on Francis and how he looks, and then you kind of go from there. He's been the number one guy in a pinch before and I mean the the dream is to have them be 1A and 1B and yeah I would say ride the hot hand until you get a little closer to the playoffs and then coaches generally don't want to do that anymore they want to they want their guy but yeah got to see got to get got to get him healthy finally and see where he's at seems I, like he's I on agree. his way yeah, yeah. so let I, I want to expand on that conversation we're going to go into in just a second but first let me just throw in a quick ad read and tell you guys about our friends over at Total Beverage located in Thornton and in Westminster Big hockey fans over there at Total Beverage. 
everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? I'm sure at this point you will, you know, after all the ad reads that JJ and I have been talking about. Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know they deliver? Did you know they have curbside pickup available? Big thing in a COVID world. And did you know they do online wine education classes? If that's your type of thing, if you're sick of listening to me on a podcast, you can hit up Total Beverage for an online wine education class. If not, it's time to know Total Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster. See for yourself. And they're big hockey guys over there. Go out there, talk to them about the podcast, talk to them about the avalanche. These conversations we're having, they love to have the exact same conversations. You can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. So let's go back into that conversation. Pavel Francis is about to play his fourth game. He played Friday and Saturday last week. He played Friday this week, and today is Saturday. We're recording right now. He's going to play today again against the Bakersfield Condors. He had 25 saves, I believe, on 27 shots yesterday. His first game back, he led in four goals last week. The second game, shutout. For starters, we, you know, I tried to get out of Jared when he's going to get called up, and he said he's going to play today, and then we'll see. Basically, they have a plan ready. But my question is when Pavel comes back, there's a lot of decisions that need to be made. The first one is with Jonas Johansson, do you send him down risk putting him on waivers or do you keep him on the team? The second one being how often do you play Frankie and do you kind of ease him in or do you just say, screw it, you're going to play the Rangers or the Panthers or, you know, not that he'll be here by Sunday, but you're just going to play who's next on the schedule. What do you think your, what's your opinion on what's going to happen when Pavel comes up? I am not as afraid about putting Jonas Johansson on waivers. I think when things are going re- when things are going well, he's very good. Uh, but lately, it's been a little shaky. I think that's a risk that they take, and they should carry Kemper and Francis personally. Yeah, I mean, I think that you have to weigh the pros and cons. And the thing is, is if you're able to bring Francis back and accrue cap space, uh, and to make that happen, you need to waive. Jonas Johansson and reassignment to the Eagles, you do that in a heartbeat. Because the thing is, if someone picks Jonas Johansson up, it happens. You know, it's not like he does not look like a guy who can win you a playoff series. And that's not a fault of his own. I mean, that's just where he's at in his career. He's still a pretty young goalie. Um, I don't think he's a, a big prospect. So it's he might ultimately just be a guy that's able to fill in in an NHL role in a pinch, but isn't a full-time guy. So one, I don't think it's that big of a risk to put him on waivers. If someone picks him up, someone picks him up, and then you, I don't know, bring up a Noonan or sign someone. or You know, there are always goalies you can find on the waiver wire. or I mean, heck, Devin Dubnik's on the Charlotte <laughs> Checkers. <laughs> like, yeah. like, yeah. like, you can find those types of guys who can play in a pinch and and right now like I don't think that Johansson's someone you're going to be counting on to win you a playoff series so I I would not worry too much about putting him on waivers I would bring Pablo Francois up and um yeah give him some games see how he looks and then play back-to-backs help out with those help out with those a lot of those coming up and maybe you get into a groove where he can play four out of every 10 games three out of every 10 games and and then when he gets hot maybe you play him a little more and you switch off a bit. And I think that's kind of the route that I should go. So I don't usually like to play hypothetical, but I am today because this is, you know, a possibility. We've already seen it happen before. And the reality is it might happen again. So Pavel Francis comes back up. You send down Johansson. He gets claimed, I don't know, let's Arizona, Buffalo. Buffalo takes him back and says, hey, we're sorry. We talked a lot of crap about you on the way out, but we're going to bring you back. (sighs) 
You lose Johansson to waivers. You bring out Francouz, plays his first game, does well, the avalanche, whatever. They went four to two. His second game, second period, he gets hurt again. He's back on the shelf and it's back to a week to week, month to month. We don't know when. And it's mid-February. Uh, obviously, the trade deadline hasn't passed yet, but it's mid-February. The Olympics are gone or done, I think, late February, whatever it is. Darcy Kemper's your starter. Eustace Annan your backup. You have all these games in March, all these games in, uh, I think April goes all the way through April, the regular season this year, till the 29th. You don't want to play Kemper every night because you don't want to risk injury, but your backup is Eustace Annan. Are you comfortable? I'm genuinely asking, are you comfortable with that kind of a situation? No. Okay, so what happens if you need to bring in another guy and kind of like Johansson? Johansson's not a great goalie. We know this. JJ and I always talk about this. Whenever JJ bashes Johansson because he's the goalie guy, I always say, look, he is what he is. He's a third-string goalie that you're not supposed to use three or four or five straight games like he had to play last week from Nashville to Toronto to Montreal and whatever. He's the kind of guy that should be your third-string goalie that when one of your first two guys needs a day off, he can come up and be the backup so that when Darcy Kemper's skate blade has a malfunction, you can bring him in and play a half a game. That's the kind of guy he is. But even for that role, we saw Hunter Miska struggle with that role. We saw Johansson when he first got here struggle. He had to learn the system. The Avalanche spent all this time developing him into somebody that at least knows the system, but he still is what he is. With that all being said, are you still comfortable with, are you comfortable with the, uh, you know, if you're not comfortable with Ananen, clearly that means you got to bring in another goalie, but are you comfortable with doing that so late into the season, knowing that, like you said, your starter is now Kemper. But now you have to ask the question of, do we bring in a guy like Dubnik who's a backup or do we bring in another starter? Like, how comfortable are you with that scenario where you lose Frankie again, you lose Johansson, and and Kemper, you know, even if he's playing good, he needs help. He cannot play every game in March and April. I mean, it's not ideal, but there's only so much you can do, right? Like, injuries happen. It stinks. It's part of the game. And, like, yeah, if the Avs have injury trouble all across the lineup, it's going to hurt their chances of winning. That's just how it works, and I think that's the same thing with the goalie situation. If either Kemper or Francois goes down and you're stuck playing one of them and then you have to find someone who maybe needs to get adjusted quickly, so be it. Like, it's it's not ideal, but that's just what happens. Well, there's a guy in Detroit that the Avalanche scored a lot of goals on yesterday who's a pending un- unrestricted free agent in Thomas Grice. You know, maybe that's the kind of guy you look at, someone who you know can be a starter in a pinch. But let's go back to Pavel Francouz. So let's say Frankie comes back and he does his Frankie thing. When it was Gruby and Francouz, we knew who the starter was. We knew who the backup was. And it was very clear. Like Bednar made an effort to say that our starter is Philip Grubauer and our 1B is Pavel Francouz. And it's going to be played like that. Beginning of the season in training camp before Frankie got injured, he did the same thing with Darcy Kemper. He kind of like reiterated that Kemper's our starter, Frankie's our backup. If Frankie comes back and you're in another situation, Kate, I'm sure you remember back before the COVID break when Kemper and Gruby were splitting time, but, or sorry, not Kemper, Frankie and Gruby were splitting time, but Francis had better numbers than Gruby. If that happens again, do you just ride the hot hand or do you still stick with your guns that you traded a first rounder for Kemper? This is going to be your guy when the playoffs start. I feel like it very much depends on the situation, how bad <laughs> things are going, where that where they're at. I mean, if if they have not, I mean, at that point in this wait, when it, wh- this hypothetical that we're these we're hypothetical- talking like close to the end of the regular season, oh, yeah. playoffs are getting started. Then they're they're split in time. They have similar records, but Frankie's just playing a hell of a lot better. Ride Frankie. Honestly, yeah. that's I feel like that's what you do. And and you play whoever gives you the best yeah. chance to yes. win when it and, comes to the playoffs. And I'm glad you both said that because. My whole thing is like, 
how committed are you to, I mean, last year you were committed to Grubauer. Like that's yeah. your guy. How committed are you to Kemper this year if he's not going to give you the best chance? I if mean, you sign Devin Dubnik and for some reason he goes on a run like he had in Minnesota, you ride the hot hand. The thing is, though, is that with Kemper, he's going to he's going to be the starter. He's going to have first chance at being the starting goaltender. And as he should. They they He has a more proven track record than Pavel Frentz says. He's... Uh, they gave up a first round pick for him. But I think then at the end of the season, that's when you've got to evaluate who's giving you the best chance. That's where you uh, talk to UC, the goalie coach, see what he's seeing. You, you kind of figure it out there. But like for now, I think, um, I think Kemper retain, like remains the starter. Um, and Francis comes in as, as the backup and you give him chances and hope he gets into form. And then later in the season, if he's, if that's a situation the Avs are in, then you you ride the hot hand going into the playoffs. And you know what? The hot hand can change. Look at Philip Grubauer in Washington. He started the playoffs as their starting goaltender in 2018, and they switched him out, and Braden Holtby led him to a Stanley Cup. Marc-Andre Fleury played unbelievably last year against the Avs, and in the second or in the third round, they he made some costly mistakes, and Pete DeBoer wasted no time bringing in Robin Leonard. Um, those things happen, so you... You've got it. When it comes to the playoffs, it's not about what you've given up or feelings or anything like that. It's strictly who gives you the best chance. And I think that they know that. They're, they're not going to mess around with that. Hot goalies win series, win championships. You, you know, yeah, like you said, on a game by game basis, we've all we've seen not the guy you thought it was going to be take you all the way to the Cup Finals. And you just got to, yeah, keep it, keep an eye on it, and not be afraid to change it up. And if you are married to a guy who's struggling, then you're going to get eliminated in the first or the second round. That's just kind of how it goes. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of glad you brought up Marc-Andre Fleury because last year's example wasn't the example I was thinking about. I was thinking about the year where Matt Murray was injured in 2017 to start the playoffs, even though he had won the Cup in 16. Fleury won first round. Fleury beat the Capitals in the second round. I forget. I'm not going to remember way back. I think it was Tampa Bay. They played in the third round, maybe 2017. No, that's the year they missed the playoffs. Whatever. They played somebody in the third round. And they switched to Matt Murray. Matt Murray won that one. Matt Murray won him the cup. So, I mean, like, the Avalanche, this is where they're at. They are they're they don't have a Vasilevsky. They don't have a Carey Price. Uh, they may never with this core because of what it costs to have a guy like that. So, ultimately, it's it's ride the hot hand. And and uh, a lot of that right now doesn't really just depend on Darcy Kemper, but it's on Pavel Francouz. And I think that is, like, the biggest storyline right now for the Avalanche because we know they could score. We know they can clean up defensively. They had a seven or eight game stretch that I think you mentioned earlier. But it's the goaltending and it's the fact that they've had a very light schedule, but now they got a lot of back-to-backs coming up. So, you know, you're either going to see a lot of Johansson or a lot of Annan or a lot of some random pickup like Dubnik and guys of that like, or you're going to have to cross your fingers that Pavel Francouz is the guy that we saw what feels like a decade ago before COVID. The thing is like, I think Francouz maybe rightfully so has this like injury prone label but what's funny is like he had one real he, well obviously the playoffs and then he had one really big injury last year uh that wiped out his whole season and i and maybe but that was related to the playoffs the exactly double hit, the double hit so he has he has one bad injury this injury he had this year sprained ankle that's not that big of an injury no, so it's, it's kind not. of it's kind of funny how like he's missed about a year a little more than a year at this point between yeah. game action. It feels like longer, but I, I, I'm i I'm pretty fascinated to see how he looks when he gets back in there. I mean, it's funny that you say about a year opening night when he was backing up uh, Philip Grubauer last year was 
almost 11 months ago. It was January 13th. Okay. January Gosh. 13th, exactly. Yeah. Almost 11 months ago. How, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It's I, I've lived in Denver for less than a year. That's crazy to me. You're well into your, you're a third of the way into your second yeah. season on the beat. Like Ryan Clark was here. I remember doing a podcast with Ryan Clark in this room right before he moved. And I was looking at it and it was like November. This is not helping my date insecurity. That's the thing. I don't know what year it is anymore. It's really strange. Everything, everything is just off. So we're going to flip the page on the goalie conversation. But first I want to tell you about our other sponsors over at DraftKings Sportsbook. We're going to talk about football today and football fans. I'm sure you all love an action packed high scoring NFL game. But the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be winning. You'll be a winner once a single team scores a single point. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's literally that simple. Lions and Broncos tomorrow here at Mile High Stadium. Literally one team has to score one point and you win $100 in free bets. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game with new same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash at any time. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code MHS. Bet $1 on any team to score, and you will win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code MHS this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL and of Mile High Sports. You do, however need to remember that you must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. I can't wait for JJ to come back because he's a degenerate and always shares the latest degenerate gambling that he did that day. Uh, for example, as soon as we were in Toronto and we found out that Jed Alexander was going to be the backup and Darcy Kemper wasn't going to play, and you were going with Johansson against one of the hottest offenses at the time, he told me that he was going to do one of those same game parlays and do the over and Toronto to win on the money line and the over and Toronto to win on the money line both hit because Toronto scored eight goals. So that was a pretty good bet for a degenerate JJ. So I kind of want to turn the conversation to the game before the Red Wings game. The Avalanche beat the New York Rangers. We don't got to break Curtis that. McDermott game, the Curtis McDermott game. Thank you. Yes. Three so. <laughs> minutes plus two rating one assist. 12 penalty minutes. Incredible. That is the, Incredible most, the most efficient three minutes I've ever seen in hockey. Yeah. I mean, he should be playing on the top line at this point. Landis okay. got hurt yesterday. We should have McDermott There's an opening, there. yeah. There's like, he's, he's clearly the top line left winger now. Now, the one thing that I want to talk about from that game, we saw it all what happened. Obviously, the Rangers had to play their third stringer. They were on the second leg of a back-to-back, which, by the way, the Avalanche have now played three straight teams in a row and scored seven goals on them, and they were all on the second leg of a back-to-back. They beat Philly after Philly lost and fired their coach. They beat the Rangers after they played whoever they played the day before, having to use Georgiev because Shesterkin is injured, which caused them to have to use the third stringer against the Avs, and then Detroit, obviously, yesterday played the Avs after playing in St. Louis the night before. Going back to that Rangers game, they played Adam Huska. It's their third stringer. Obviously, the Avalanche aren't going to sit here, and neither are fans going to sit here and be like, oh, yeah, 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 that's a good excuse because Colorado's had to deal with that lately, and they lost 8-3 to three with their third stringer and an emergency backup and some guy that flew in like halfway through the game. The conversation I want to have, obviously, is around the Jacob Truba hit on Nathan McKinnon. I don't want to have a conversation about if the hit was clean or dirty. Obviously, within the rule book and within the, 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 the realm of what was allowed in the NHL, it was a clean hit. It was a big, massive hit. It was the kind of hit that when I was younger, I used to cheer and jump off my bed and be like, ah, Scott Stevens killed Paul Correa in the Stanley Cup final, whatever hit it was. This explains a lot about you. It does, yes. I've grown. 
I've grown a lot. I no okay. longer call them the dead things. I no longer cheer for brain scrambling hits. Good. I've Good. Evolved. Growth. I've, yes. yes. I've evolved as a human. So the question that I have is because I know my answer to this. When you see Jacob Truba do a hit, lay out a hit like that on somebody like Nathan McKinnon, the day before he did it to Jajar Kara, we saw what Gabe Landeskog did earlier in the season when he blew up Kirby Doc. Uh, I lived in Detroit for 15 years. I saw Nick Cronwall destroy, obliterate people with clean hits for 15 years. What's the first thought that comes to mind when you see a hit like that? No, I don't like calling them clean and dirty. I don't really like what that implies. I say legal or was not penalized. I drank, I have been, I've been very into hockey for like 20 years at this point. I was drinking the Kool-Aid like you back in the day where I, you know, the, the discourse surrounding this is that if you don't like those hits, you're not like a good, true hockey fan because that's the sport. You're gonna ruin get, the game. Get on board. Yeah, you guys are. You're soft. It's too. You guys are softening up the game. You're ruining it. Which, you know, just because, just because something's good doesn't mean it can't grow and evolve. And we know more now about what those concussions do to people, even on clean hits. A lot of you know they happen on clean hits. Is I'm I said I hate that word. And I'm using it now, but. Legal hits. They have, you know, a concussion can happen on a legal hit as much as it can on, you know, on something that's penalized. But the first of all, the, yeah, the discourse surrounding it is a little bit wonky. I think we probably could could do a little bit better job. It doesn't have to be like that, you know, like where everywhere. If you think that there's room to improve this sport and keep athletes safer and not have you know, have an injury that could affect the next 40 years of their life for, enter- for, for to entertain us. Like that's kind of, it's, don't, Sick. don't, don't think about it too hard. Cause it's really quite messed up. Yeah. And then to say, if you're not okay with this, you don't love the sport. Like, what is this seriously? And that's kind of what, that's where I'm at with this. I used to be, I, I used to, you know, hear that and internalize it and be like, Oh, I have to agree with this or I'm not a real hockey fan. But now I'm like, we know too much for this to, you know, to keep happening like this. What's wrong with don't raise up like whatever good came from, you know, from like blowing him up, blowing after the him initial up. Contact, yeah, like yes. just like whatever good came of that, whether it's whether it's within the framework of this game, this man-made game or not, like just, just don't do it. I don't know. I'm not I'm I'm just dis- I'm disillusioned with this aspect of the game, basically. Yeah, I want to hear your opinion, Peter, because. Kate and I watched the hit on TV. You were there for it. Uh, Kate and I watched hits happen at the press box. But I want to hear your opinion because you just wrote one of the hardest stories that I've had to ever read was the Bowen Byram story, what he's had to deal with, what his family's had to deal with. Like in the end, this is a 20-year-old kid or however old Bowen is out and right now, I forget. But He's 20. He's had he, three concussions in a calendar year. He's had three concussions in a calendar year. He's 20. He's an adult, yes, but you have to remember, like, he has parents, he has family that are that are, you know, I'm I'm 28. My mom is scared when I have food poisoning. Like, that's a thing that that affects more than just like Jujar Kara's family had to watch what happened. Nathan McKinnon's fine. I understand it. And again, I want to reiterate, I am not bashing Jacob Truba. He did something that he was he he learned to do growing up and he continues to do, and he's good at it. But I want to hear your opinion because you wrote that Bo Byram story, knowing and pulling the curtain back on what this kind of hit can do to someone. Yeah, I I mean, there's going to be some hits in hockey that even if that that are unintentional and cause injury, and I think those hits, unfortunately, like are probably you, you can't. There's only so much you can do. I get wary of the big hits, and I don't really think that 
um, they need to be a part of the game. I mean, I think you can have a hard physical game where you have hard hits that just aren't high hits that lead to like serious injuries. Because I, I, I'll tell you what's worse for the game than not having those hits is your stars getting hurt and missing significant time um, because they're hurt. Like the best players should be in the games. And that that's what like I struggle with. It's like, I don't, even if like you want to take away the morality and all of that, you want to avoid injuries to your best players just for like the sole marketability of the game. Um, And I, I don't think we need to have that element of play uh, to have a compelling sport to watch. I mean, I think if you look at like my favorite plays to watch this year have been the skill plays I've seen. I've seen have been like the Mitch Marner pass and Austin Matthews goal against the Avs, the Alex Newhook goal against Ottawa. Those types of plays are the ones that make you go, wow, this is really cool. So I think that I second what you're saying. I don't necessarily have like a super concrete solution, but I – I think that where it starts is uh, the higher-ups with the game need to shift their thinking on what makes the game entertaining. And I sadly don't have a ton of faith in... um, Hockey men. Neither do I. Yeah, I mean, because they clearly think... Just look at how the playoffs are officiated. The playoffs are officiated to allow guys who are bigger and not as good at defense to get away with penalties because of the physical elements of the game. And that what that leads to is Connor McDavid getting eliminated in the first round. And who's that good for? Yeah, he got, I, I believe he got eliminated in the second round in a sweep, or was it the first round? First round. No, 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 first round. He got swept in the first round by Winnipeg, who went on to get swept. But, but it was like all one goal games, and he didn't draw a single he penalty. He didn't draw a single penalty, which is exactly what I was going to bring up. And Austin Matthews, the guy you talked about a little bit earlier, hasn't drawn a single penalty at five on five. Yeah. He's played 20-something games this year. He's one of the best goal scorers in the NHL. He hasn't drawn a single penalty. And and so call the rule book, and I don't know. I just I don't need the the big hits. And it makes me a little uncomfortable, honestly, when I see, like, um, like I don't think Landis guy was trying to hurt Eklund on the play where he, like, got went after him or whatever. But he, when Eklund goes down to the ice and Landis guy kind of throws him back and his head either hits the ice or the boards and he gets up all bloodied and the crowd. I call yeah, I call him. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And – it was like saying Eklund. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Eklund, sorry. Um, the the and crowd the, cheered it. And the crowd goes yeah. crazy, and everyone's tweeting clips of like, and I'm like, this is barbaric. This isn't what we need. Like, I don't know. I'm not. The, yeah. Dude, b- before our time, back in the early 80s or the 70s or whatever it was, um, bench clearing brawls were a thing. And now we all look back, we're like, ah, this is barbaric. And then we turn around and cheer when, you know, yeah, Brendan Shanahan and Patrick Wall body slam each other at center ice. Ah, this is so funny. To me, it's gotten to the point where, and and look, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna out myself a little bit for this, but during that game on Thursday or Wednesday, whatever it was against the Rangers, I wrote two stories. I wrote an opinion about why I think the NHL could do without these kinds of hits. And again, I made it clear I'm not targeting Jacob True before it. I my whole thing was the NFL has an unnecessary roughness penalty. They're the most vicious team sport in the world. They have their own concussion issues going on. But if the NFL can have a penalty like that, an unnecessary roughness penalty where you can hit a guy, you can blow up a guy, you can do all this thing. But if I, the ref, look at you and feel like you went a little bit overboard, I'm going to throw a flag for that and you're going to get penalized for that. The NHL can do it too. You can separate Jujar Kara from the puck. You can be like, ah, Nathan should have kept his head up, which is what everybody keeps telling me, you know, with 
while forgetting the fact that the puck is down there and every hockey player has to look down at some point to get the puck on his stick. You can get the puck away from Nathan McKinnon without having to blow him up. But I've gotten to the point now where even when I saw Gabriel Landeskog step in and fight, and what I'm outing myself on is my second article was talking about how Gabriel Landeskog is the leader this team needs. I didn't mention the fight, but ultimately that's what it was. It was Gabe Landeskog this year has kind of taken on this new tenacious physical edge to his game that we haven't seen since like his first three or four years in the NHL. He's kind of gotten away from it, understandably so, because that game over 20 years isn't just is just not going to cut it. There's no shelf life for that unless you're Alex Ovechkin and you can you know do what he's been doing for 20 years. So I, I get it. I wrote a story about how this hit is something the NHL could do without. And then I wrote another story implying that Gabe Landeskog is a great leader without mentioning the fight, but also mentioning the, you know, pretty much centered around the fact that he stepped in for his teammate, even though he's a $7 million forward. But when I watched that fight with Gabe Landeskog, he took a punch from Jacob Trouba at one point that hit him right in the head. And the first thing that came to my mind wasn't the same thing when I was younger, like, oh, did you see the, the Shanahan and foot fight or the Lemieux McCarty fight when I used to watch those rivalry games? It was, holy shit, I hope Landeskog's fine. Yeah. He ended up being fine. McKinnon ended up being fine, but that's where we are as a society and, and, and again, call it soft, call it whatever the hell you want to call it. But we know what these concussions can do. We know what head injuries can do. And I'm going to say the same thing I said in my article, Trevor Zegers and Sonny Milano just pulled off what I was listening to Chris Johnson on his show. He called it the best goal in NHL history. Trevor Zegers and Sonny Milano just pulled that off. We're talking about hits. That's a problem. Yeah. And, and again, I, I think I want to reiterate hockey can be, really skilled, really physical, really intense all at once without, yes, there are going to be some hits where a guy gets boarded and goes in. Like Kale McCarr had a cross check last night that I don't think he meant anything. Yeah, that happened really fast. Like, like here's what we do say. It happens so fast. It we happens. Ha- we have to slide that in there. They, you know, if they. Yeah. I don't, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want people breaking down every, you know, stupid split second decision I make, like we're doing right here, right now yeah. in this place right now. And that's what we're doing to them. And it, even the Landeskog hit in the first game of the season in yes, Chicago. Yes. Yeah. You yep. just talked first about game. it. Yep. You, I mean, if you watched it, not slow-mo, slow-mo looked really bad, yeah. but if you, it happened so quick and I, we need to respect that people make, re- you know, it, yeah, they're it, not it gets trying away to hurt people. You. Yeah. yeah. And, One and, would hope. and, and I think that's where, but I think it's like, Maybe it, I don't know. So that that's where I'm getting at. It's like, I don't really know the solution, but I do think that there is a way to like, I don't know. Maybe it's the way we teach the game at a young age where we really deter kids from taking high hits and, and liberties up high. Cause like you can check a guy really hard without hitting his head. Um, and I think that's more what we need to strive for and not. Yeah. I mean, you can still have an NHL where a player like Brad Marchand or a player like Tom Wilson is valuable. Gabe Landeskog, these are valuable as all hell guys. These are guys that can put up 40, 50, 60 points, but they can hit you. They have a physical edge to them and they'll win those playoff games that we always talk about the muck and grind games. Granted, I don't think the playoffs should be played like that, but that's a different story that you mentioned earlier. It's two different sports. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's who, who do you have on the team that can get you there? And then who do you have the team who do you have on your team that could win you games when you get there being the, there being the playoffs? So like you can still have a sport where, you know, no disrespect to Andre Burakovsky, where not every player is just going to be a skill finesse player that just has a really nice shot. You can have a game where even Nathan McKinnon, he can lay out some hits, Gabe Landeskog, Tom Wilson, Brad Marchand. Kale occasionally. Kale. Put yeah. A big hit out the there. Kachuk brothers, everybody's favorite Alex Tuck, this big massive dude that just got traded. Like you can have a game where those guys matter 
without having hits like this. And again, this isn't on Jacob Truba. He's literally doing what he gets paid six million, I think, to do. And he does a good job at it. And, you know, poor guy. He did it two games in a row. It was literally the exact same. I don't want to say poor guy, but like it was literally the exact same hit two games in a row. And obviously that's why the microscope's on it. But like, I, I don't know. There's I, I don't have a solution either. That's why when I wrote about it, I just kind of mentioned that the NHL could do without this hit without really mentioning a solution, which I don't really like to do. But the reality is there was just an there was there was a element of unnecessary roughness to that hit to separate man from puck. And somebody brought up the, you know, the question to me of, well, where does he let up? And what if he lets up and Nathan McKinnon scores a goal? Well, whoop do freaking do? Well, whoop do do? When you're targeting a quarterback and you want to sack a quarterback, you know that there's only so much you can do. And then you let up a little bit too much. Aaron Rodgers throws a bomb 80 yards and you're like, God damn it. I let up too much. Whoop do do what happens? Well, and also just. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to speak to that play, but a lot of times it's just like trying to hit him lower. Don't try and yeah. hit him in the head. Exactly. Like, and I don't think Trubo was trying to hit him in the head. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But like in general, I think that's maybe what we should. And I think we should glorify the hits last year. I think that's a big, I think we need to not have the like slow-mo on the video board that everyone cheers for when another guy's getting carted off the. And all the social medias are, yeah, just pictures, like you said, of, of Matias Ekholm with his bloody face coming up from the Gabe Landis gog hit. And again, like, Initial reaction is like, God, Gabe, what a warrior. And then you sit back and you're like, yeah, this is barbaric. <laughs> like, yeah. this is where we are as a sport. We can have the plays. We can see the Logan O'Connor toe drag goal. And we can see Zegers and Milano do that stuff. And Austin Matthews is sick goal on Jonas Johansson when we were in Toronto. You can have plays like that and celebrate the game without the big hits. And I think it is trending in the right direction, but it I is. think there is, it's just there is. Too you have to be more of a, of a, I use the phrase earlier, renaissance man in today's NHL. You can't just be good at one thing. You have to, you won't last. Like you gotta, so it is, it is like maybe kind of evolving out of the game, but you know, the modern NHL is the one that's got to foot the, the players are the ones that have to foot the bill for this progress, I guess, which are we okay with that? Yeah, well, well, here's the thing. What you just said, the game is progressing in the right direction, but, like, literally the men that are controlling – no, I don't want to say men, but, like, the people the, 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 well, – It's it, mostly it, men. It is mostly <laughs> men. But, like, the men that are controlling where the game goes are, are, are being dragged kicking and screaming toward this transition. Yeah. They don't necessarily want it. It just happens. Well, and, and I mean, this is another soapbox, but just the fact that, like – in the playoffs, the refs don't call as many penalties because that's what the league wants. When it, when you really break it down, what they're saying is we don't want the rules followed in the playoffs. Yeah. We don't want and, – and that's dumb. That's like Connor McDavid drew a penalty in last year's series against uh, Winnipeg. He Connor McDavid drew, draws a penalty every time he has the puck. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, our, we should want the best players getting to shine – when they're following the rules and yeah. So I could go on a long time about yeah, that. My, my last point I'll make about that. Elliot Friedman last year said something along the lines of, he wrote this in one of his blogs. He said, I don't think the officials change the way they officiate in the playoffs. I think the players change the way they play and play with a more physical edge. And when I first read that, I was like, yeah, I think he's got a point, but then it hit me. It's like, well, you can't have one without the other. If Gabe Landeskog is going to take it easy for 82 games because it's the regular season and you want to conserve your energy, and then in the playoffs, he's going to start to do things that sometimes will lead to him going over the edge, then the official who didn't call the penalties on Gabe when he was taking it easy need to call the penalties on Gabe when he's going over the edge. You can't have one without the other. If the players are playing a more physical game, chances are, more than likely, more penalties are being, uh, are, are being or need to be assessed because they're 
causing more infractions when they're playing with that edge. So you can't have one without the other. So I kind of was agreeing with Elliot when he first said that, but now I think back and it's like, well, if the players are playing with a more physical edge, if the players are doing more things that are going to cause infractions, then the refs need to call more penalties. And then the, 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 the different sports that you talked about should be that in the playoffs, it's a more physical game with more power plays in the regular season. It's a less physical game with less power plays. You can't have one without the other. Good. I'm, I'm glad we all agree. I just, I really wanted to talk about that because that was a, that was a topic that, you know, most people agreed with me when I said that, like, I'm not trying to change the game and I'm not trying to ruin hockey, but I, you know, it's just the reality is that hit something about it just seemed off. Yeah. Uh, and the reaction we have to it, which, you know, the reaction to the Landeskog fight, the reaction to the Ekholm thing, something about it is off, but I kind of want to turn back to a guy. I, Sorry, I go ahead. One other brief thing. I was talking to someone who's close to one of the players on the team. And the point they made was, look at college hockey. Yes, college hockey is really hockey. fun, really physical, really skilled, and they don't have any of this. I didn't want to bring that up because you should have. I know too much yeah. more. But like stuff that is not even called in the NHL, it, you will get ejected for. And like if you board a guy in college hockey, you stand a fairly good chance of getting tossed. If you fight in college hockey, you're out for the next oh, game. It's a red card. In nobody does it. And they don't even try it. Yeah. It's they're scrums, but you don't, there are no actual you don't dare. against the rule. Well, no, dare. it's just against the rules. Yeah. You can't do it. You miss the rest of the game. You miss the entire night. It's literally a red card in soccer, which is like the most holy crap. How dare you do that is a hockey fight in college. And then you come to the NHL, but it's just, it's just more far more tightly policed. And then they get up to the NHL where everybody's bigger and stronger and they're like, have at it, boys. And that's that that adjustment is weird. Like, why? Well, two of the guys that we've talked about, Trevor Zegers and Alice Newhook, where did they play? They yeah. played college. Yeah. yeah. They didn't come from the junior hockey program. They played college and now look at them. Say it loud, say it proud. It's interesting. I also fighting is such an interesting thing because I part of me is like, I don't necessarily mind fighting as long as they're like both uh, if they have both like agreed to the fight and are like kind of squaring up or whatever, it's like that's one thing. I I think what you need to avoid is where like one guy just comes and slams another guy to the ground before they're ready to fight. Landeskog got a five minute major for fighting against Ekholm, and Ekholm did not get a penalty. I've never seen that ever. Yeah, and that kind of is exactly what you're talking about. I didn't mind that call. Neither did I. When I saw it, I'm like, this is I've never seen this before. When I tweeted it, I said I've never seen this call before, and a whole bunch of Avalanche fans are like, yeah, that's bullshit. How could you give? And I'm like. No, like it's literally what happened. Gabe Landeskog fought and gets five minutes for it. Ekholm didn't fight. <laughs> like he didn't fight. And I think, didn't he get non-sportsmanlike for, or something for- He got something. He got something, yeah, but he didn't get a five-minute major for yeah. fighting. Which I, th- I, I thought was fair. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and this is coming from a sport that two generations ago, or two decades ago, I should say, Darren McCarty, and we're going to go back to the Avalanche Red Wing thing. Darren McCarty jumped Claude Lemieux in that uh, fight night at the Joe, the whole turtle thing that everybody talks about. And Juan Shanahan body slammed each other and Vernon came and fought Juan, bloodied Juan. Larry Onov and Forsberg were tied up in the corner and all these things. And Darren McCarter got a double minor for roughing. <laughs> he got a double minor for roughing on a play where literally after the fight, the, 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 the refs had to use their skates to scrape all the blood off the ice. They literally had yeah. to do that in front of the bench. He got Well, and also the, the year before, Claude Lemieux had the extremely dirty hit in the playoffs. On know? Chris Draper. Yeah. And, yeah, he got ejected, but he still came out and celebrated with a T-shirt. Ah, cheering to the crowd as, again, barbaric. Like, something about it. What do you think? What do you think about it away from the scope of hockey? It's a different, it's a different mindset. You're like, this is kind of messed up because, like, 
I know you cannot compare sports to the regular world, but like sometimes you think back to the regular world and you're like, we're sitting in a studio recording a podcast. If the producer in the next room just comes over here and like trips me and makes me hit my head into that piece of glass, like it's kind of messed up. That's a very barbaric thing to do. So why are we allowing this in sports? It's really weird. And I know that I'm saying this in a generation where we all watch or not we all, but you know, MMA is a big thing and, and the UFC is taken center stage. I don't know. Sports are going to a weird place, but I think now it's a good time to kind of shift the conversation to something a little bit more positive. And it's a guy we talked about earlier. His name's Devon Taves. Oh, him. Yes. So let me read you something about Devon Taves. I was going to do the math in my head, but I didn't. And I just, you know, I gave up on that. Devon Taves, like you said, 11 months ago was January 13th. He has played 68 regular season games with the Avalanche and 10 playoff games. In those 78 total games, Devontae's is 57 points. Not bad. On top of that, he has, let me do a quick math, a plus 58 rating. In 78 games over the last 11 months, regular season plus playoffs, no preseason, nine plus one is 10 plus four is 14. 14 goals and whatever the assists are for that, I'm not gonna do the quick math. All while playing good defense. All yeah. while being, again, he's he's the Mark Mathot to Eric Carlson. He's the... Uh, I don't know. That's the example I can think of off the top of my head. He's the stay-at-home part of this defensive pair. Oh, they've evolved past that, though. Yeah, like, Let's not call that. Exactly, yeah. They're, they're like, something else. Yeah, but it was the same thing with Ryan Graves. They're it a modern was, defensive pairing. Maybe. It's a modern defensive pairing, and that's kind of the thing that I was talking to Jared about yesterday when I asked him, like, how do you coach that? But here's the thing. When you think offensive defenseman on the avalanche, your mind automatically goes to? Kale. Kale. And then after that? Gerard. And then after that? Taves. Uh-oh. Before this season, it was Bo. Yeah, this is the oh, guy. Yeah. That, this it's is the hard. guy that's. I mean, he only had four assists last year, but this is the guy that's going to break out. But now it's like, it's Makar and Taves. It's Makar and Taves, and then Gerard and it's everybody. It's this entire unit except for the third pair, which is littered with guys, and they're all doing a good job at their role. Eric Johnson, Jack Johnson, Ryan Murray. It's an older generation of a hockey player that was drafted an older generation ago that plays a different kind of stay-at-home game. But also, even those guys, like some of them more than others, but like. Ryan Murray, when he's playing well, is a really good puck mover. He's not like an offensive savant like Kyle yeah. McCarr, but he can move the puck. Eric Johnson has offensive instincts. And then, you know, Jack Johnson, like he got drafted number three overall for a reason, and it wasn't because he had zero offense and was just a great def- stay-at-home defenseman. So it, you kind of have to to play on this Avs team and get minutes at, uh, on the defensive unit when everyone's healthy. It, the Your ability to move the puck and play good offenses is pretty important. Yeah. So here's the question that I want to raise. We're going to go to the Olympics. So Are you announcing that the NHL is going to the Olympics. So that was <laughs> going to be my big caveat. The, 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 if everything is fine and the NHL goes to the Olympics and nothing, which I'm skeptical, I'm skeptical of that too, to be honest with you, because let me really quickly fill some airtime while I pull out the quote from Chris Johnston uh, just a couple hours ago yeah, where what, he said one day quarantine, the NHL and NHLPA await the updated Beijing Olympic playbook. The IOC has provided new info. Any confirmed positive tests at the games must produce two negative tests, 24 hours apart. Otherwise the quarantine period can last from 21 days up to five weeks in accordance, in accordance with Chinese law. Assuming that lengthy quarantine requirement remains in place, it could factor heavily into the decision by individual players and perhaps the players as a whole about whether they even want to participate. There's a January 10 deadline to withdraw without financial penalty. The NHL has made it clear and made it clear at the conclusion of yesterday's Board of Governors meeting that 
Ultimately, the Olympic decision rests in the hands of the players. Bill Daly noted the league and the PA are aligned, blah, blah, blah. They won't be on a different page. Basically, the, the NHL doesn't want to go. Whatever the players say, the NHL is going to say, yeah, we agree with that. Because if the players don't want to go, the NHL is going to say, hell yeah. If the players do go, they're going to be like, oh, well, we agree to this. So yeah, sure, go. But let's assume that all is figured out in this fairy tale world where COVID isn't still pretty much altering the way we live our lives every single day. The NHL goes to the Olympics. Team Canada names their Olympic roster. Is Devontae's on that roster? Uh, he 500% should be. I th- Is he? I think he would be, but I'm not positive. I think the fact that he plays with Kale McCarr benefits him, that they have that chemistry. That's beneficial. Um, I think it also overshadows him a little bit. It does a little bit, but I think at this point, I mean, I would hope that the Hockey Canada people that are making those decisions are not necessarily like the average hockey fan and are like doing their... Oh, that's just the guy that plays with Kale. Yeah, exactly. So you would think, I mean, I would think Armstrong... He's the GM of the Blues. He's seen how good Devontae's is. You would think, you would hope he would know that. My question is how much of the old guard kind of is kept in to uh, remain with the team. So, like, you've got the guys that are like the Drew Dowdies that have been around for a long time. Those are the guys I could see taking Devontae's spot. Um, I, should they? I don't think so. Will they? I think that's entirely possible. Uh, I'm not saying they don't know how good he is, by the way, just that he gets like just comparatively overshadowed a little bit as far as. Well, because Kale's unlike anything we've seen from a defenseman. All right. So looking at at the James Norris Memorial Trophy voting from a season ago Mm -hmm. where Devontae's only at 30 only had 31 points in 50 something games last year. He was a plus 29. It was his first year with the Avalanche. He's already, what, 11 points away from that number, and he's only played 15 games? It's, yeah. it's unbelievable. I think I voted for him fifth in Norris voting last okay. year. Okay. And so, yeah, you were one of the fifth-place votes. He had five total votes. You were one of them. Uh, so four other people put him on the ballot. Uh, I do know for sure, because I could see it here, that the other person that voted from Denver was Mike Chambers, and he did not. So four yeah. people outside of the avalanche market put Devontae's on their ballot. And I think Lazarus in Chicago had him third. Really? I Damn. believe so. Okay. I don't, I don't, you can check his Twitter. He tweeted something about it though. So starting from the top, Adam Fox obviously won the Norris trophy. He's an American. Kel McCarr, Canadian. Victor Hedman, Swede. Yeah. Uh, Dougie Hamilton, Canadian. Charlie McAvoy, American. Shea Theodore, Canadian. Darnell Nurse, Canadian. Mackenzie Weger, Canadian. Chris Letang, Jacob Chikrin, Devon Taves. Your top eight, he's within the top eight of last year's voting. Obviously that's not going to determine who makes and the Petrangelo's roster. And Petrangelo's already on the roster. Petrangelo's already going to be on the roster. So, so absolutely here is where I am with team Canada's defense, because there's a lot of names for starters, Jacob Chikrin or Devon Taves. Who do, who do you think is going to make it? I think they're going to take Taves over Chikrin. I genuinely do Jacob. Uh, sorry, Devon. Uh, did I say Taves over Chikrin? Yes. Okay. Sorry. Taves versus Jared Spurgeon. I think they're going to look at Devon Taves is better than that. But also the wild have been unbelievable this year. And Spurgeon's had a really great year for them and is the captain of that team. Like, there's a lot of things to like with Spurgeon. Yeah. I mean, I think Taves is better, but like, that's not a slam dunk for me. Yeah. Given given the fact Ekblad that Ekblad also has to be, I'll I'll get to Ekblad in a second. Given the fact that Kale McCarr and there's all this young talent, Shea Theodore, all these young guys that are going to make the roster, uh, I don't think Thomas Shabbat's going to make it anymore. I don't think he's had a good season in Ottawa. I think he's going to be on his, you know, he's not he's going to be out of luck with that. Same with Colton Pareko. I don't think he's going to make it because there's just again there's too many names ahead of him. Uh, Darnell Nurse is an interesting one. Josh Morrissey, he's an interesting one. 
here's where I am with Team Canada's Olympic roster. They love, like you said, they love the duos. They love mm-hmm. to bring guys that have the experience. It's why Chris Kunitz has a gold medal. It's why the San Jose line of Patrick Marlowe, Joe Thornton, and Danny Heatley was a thing in 2010. Here is where I am. Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo do that thing in Vegas. Kale McCarr and Devontae do the thing in Denver. Uyghur and Ekblad. Uyghur and Ekblad in Florida. Yeah. If you take those six guys, obviously you can dress seven defensemen because you can always dress the extra skater. If you take those six guys and then your extra defensemen are a combination of, rightfully so, Dougie Hamilton, Darnell Nurse, or Drew Doughty. Jared Spurgeon. Or Jared Spurgeon, or Morgan Riley, or... Chakran. There's a lot of dudes. But how many of those guys do you think they're going to look at and say, right now, not not you and what you believe, but Doug Armstrong and this Team Canada brass are going to look at those guys and say, yeah, I'm going to win more games right now with Jacob Chikrin than I am Devontae's. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I mean, Drew Doughty, uh, he's someone who Team Canada's trusted a lot. I think Drew Doughty's going to make it. I think Drew Doughty's going to be one of the top eight. Do you think he deserves it? Uh, the way he played last year and the way he started this season, I haven't looked at his numbers since his injuries. Uh, to be honest with you, he's he's on par with these guys, the Spurgeons, the Taves, and whatever, but he's going to get the bump of... He's a two-time gold medalist. And this he's won cups. Yeah. Like, like you, I mean, I, I think um, Armstrong said in a recent interview that he values, like, playoff success and all that, which a lot of people took to mean that... Uh, Wilson's going to make it over Marner or whatever. Yeah. Which, if Mitch Marner doesn't make the Olympic team... That's right? outrageous. Yeah. That's stupid. Um, but, but I think it, it, you, we have to remember that that's the way it, he might be thinking and he might want Team Canada experience in the past. So I, I think that... As cut and dry as you can make Devontae's case seem, I think that there's a very real possibility he doesn't. Just because he's like a relative unknown compared to some of these other guys. Yeah, yeah, he didn't come up as a big-time prospect. He's not a name that's been on. He really first emerged as like an Olympic-level player last year, which is still this calendar year. So he's still – it's not like he's proven it over a long period of time, which isn't just – I mean, I think he will. I think Devontae is a really good player and is going to remain a really good player for a long time. I think he should be on the Olympic team. But I, I'm just – I'm a little more skeptical than you, Arif, of Team Canada looking at it the same way. What I, what I like about him is if we were having this conversation about Bo Byram – I would think a little differently because Kale McCarr's a young guy. Bo Byram's a young guy. Do you, and this is a stupid way to look at it, but you ultimately know team Canada is going to sit there and be like, do we want to bring two young guys to the team with not much experience? Cause Kale and Bo don't have much experience and do it from the same team. Probably not. Yeah. But Devon Taves is what? 26, 27. He, I know he's a, he's a bit of a late bloomer. He's a guy that kind of like made his way up later, but he also played on a Barry Trotz team. Yeah. Uh, he thrived at it. He played in a system that involved Lou Lamorello. I'm not saying these are the guys that are, you know, putting the team together, but these are the guys that these are respected hockey men that are going to have opinions about someone like Devon. They're going to be the ones that are going to be asked about. They're going to be writing those reference letters about Devon Tave saying, yeah, this is a damn good guy. And look how much we suck since he left. I think it's because of that. Um, you know, I'm making a joke there, but like, He's done enough for me to be in that conversation. When you compare him to somebody like Drew Doughty, look, like Drew's not having here. Let me let me give you another guy's season. This is a forward. One goal, nine assists, ten points in twenty-six games. Is that Jonathan Taze? 
you're spot on. That's Jonathan Taves. Drew Doughty's not having that you guys kind need of season. To hang out less. I know, seriously. <laughs> this is un- unreal. I can't believe you just did that. That's I just John- know he just scored his he first goal. He just scored his first goal against Montreal. I was going to say, that kind of gives it away. But like, it's not like Drew Doughty's having that kind of a season where you're like, well, you have to take the Jonathan Taves. How could you have a Team Canada without Jonathan Team Canada Taves? Like, no. He doesn't deserve to be on the team. Drew Doughty's got two goals, nine assists, 11 points in nine games. I know he was hurt a little bit. He had a bit of a renaissance season last year. He's done enough to prove it. And, and if it comes down to Taves and Dowdy, like right in this moment, because in a month from now, Taves might have 65 points in 40 games or something ridiculous like that. If it comes down to right this very moment, looking at their two stat lines, if it comes down to the two, Dowdy has done enough where all of those other intangibles are going to play a factor where he's going to make it over. But later on, I think there's other players that Taves is going to jump where he's going to leap over them, where Dowdy's still going to make it and Taves is still going to make it. But maybe. again, maybe maybe I'm putting a little bit too much trust in Team Canada. If there's anything that I've learned about the Canadian brass, it's uh, let's make two mistakes every year and still win a gold medal. Unless it's 2006 where you make a bunch of mistakes and Steve Eisenman skating around on one ankle and Todd Bertuzzi's on the team and Sidney Crosby's at home. Yeah. So, you know, those decisions happen, but damn, Devon is good. He's like, real good. He's this is, I, I, I kind of asked Jared, and I hate the way I worded the question yesterday. I said, is this a guy that is just riding Kale's coattails or whatever offensively? He's just, you know, rub, Kale's rubbing off on him, or is this a guy that's more offensive than any of us thought? That's what we call a leading question. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, and I said, is he, a, is he a guy that is a little bit more offensively gifted than any of us thought? And I hate that I used the word us because Jared responded with, yeah. this is a guy that's more offensively gifted than you thought. Yeah. I noticed that too. <laughs> And I thought that was great. I thought it was awesome. I don't think he did it on purpose to kind of oh, like. I thought he did. I, I think so too, but he does it in such a nice, charming way where you're like, I can't be mad at this guy. But like. You teed him up. What yeah, you do? exactly. Yeah, it's, you know. You gave him a choice. <laughs> I once asked Jared. Uh, actually, he did it again yesterday with the no, and I made the joke like, yeah, seven goals, the expectation. No, he's like, no. And he just laughed about it. But I once asked him, and he didn't laugh about it. It was when uh, Ryan Graves was playing with Kale. It was early in that 1920 season, pre-COVID. And the Avalanche were struggling on the PP. It was, you know, their first year without Tyson Berry. Kale was still a rookie and not really working well on the power play yet. And suddenly Ryan Graves has like three straight games with a goal. He's having this breakout year. He's playing all these great shots from the point. And I said, Jared, or or John Martineau was like, one more question. And I was like, yeah, Jared, do you think, uh, you know, given what's happening on your team's power play and you guys aren't having the best season, that have you entertained the idea of using Ryan Graves on the power play? He literally said no and walked off behind John Martin. No, he's like, no, and just left. And John Martin, just died laughing. Jared was straight faced. So he does do that sometimes, but the other day in, uh, in New York, I asked him, or I started a question by saying it was, he was in a good mood. Everyone was happy. It was in New York holiday season. Great city. Just scored seven goals. And I was like, Jared, I'm about to ask you a really dumb question. This is before the game. And he goes, then don't ask it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And then the question was, I actually found this interesting. I asked, how many games would it take Kale McCarr to be an elite winger if he was never allowed to play defenseman again? Ooh, what did he say? A couple games. Yeah. Yeah. It might not even take that long, honestly. Well, let's ask that same question about Devon Taves next time because my man's got 20 points in 15 games. Yeah, but he's... He's a different guy. I know. He, yeah. he he scores like a defenseman. Shots yeah. from the points. You know, assists. He's not assists. taking it end-to-end. End. Yeah. Four goals, 16 assists. Kel McCarr's got what? 12 and 12? 12 and 13? Yeah. 
Like what kind of what kind of defenseman has a stat line like that? It's I mean obviously yesterday he scored an empty netter, but that was he, his first empty netter of the year, and a lot of his goals I think really? only I think only two of his goals are five on five or are power play this year. The rest are five on five. You are correct. Twelve goals, thirteen assists, twenty five points, two power play goals. I don't think we four need four penalty minutes. <laughs> four penalty. Yeah, you made that point yesterday that he never takes. Dude, he's just. I I'm I was but yesterday I was yesterday maybe we'll see how it goes from here, but like. I'm just gonna start it. Kale McCarr, Lady Bing rumors or uh, buzz? Well, not anymore. Not not after two after, not that after, penalty. Yep, not after two, last night. Two penalties is too many. Yeah. I watched Pavel Datsuk once fight Corey Perry on opening night, and I think he still won a Lady Bing that year <laughs> because the NHL was voting, and they're like, "Well, it's Corey Perry. He probably did something stupid to yeah. cause this." Well, it's the Lady Bing is the dumbest. Yeah. It's not a dumb award. It's dumb that the, the media voted votes on. on. Yeah, like I don't know who's a good sport. Yeah. Like the refs know the, the 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 coaches know not. I mean, the defending winner is Jacob Slavin of Erie, Colorado, and yeah. um, he seems like a good sport. But I don't know. Follow him on uh, Instagram. That's a uh, that's how I know he seems yeah. like a good sport. But, oh, but okay. I seems... thought you were going another way with that. I was like, oh no, is he an asshole? No, no, no. He could. <laughs> okay. He could say terrible things on the ice that no one just I ever know. knows about. I was yeah. a joke. Yeah. 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 Like Kale seems like a good sport. I mean, look, Carter Hart. Um, he tapped. Eustace Anunin on the pads before his first start to say good luck in Philly. That's good sportsmanship. That's, yeah. Is Carter Hart going to be fifth on my Lady Bing ballot this year? Not I'm going to As good of a reason as anybody else probably has. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this out for, uh, for, for the show with saying, and as you guys have noticed, I've mentioned Elliot Freeman and Chris Johnson. I listen to a lot of hockey shows, and, and, and I like to. You? I know, right? Seriously. <laughs> I will like to say first, though, that I like to create my own. And like, you know, come up with my own opinions on things before I listen to anybody else talk about it. Because like the reality is like I just heard you and your your thoughts on the Jacob Truba hit and you've added more points to why I think what I think. Just Peter, not me. Well, I was talking to Peter right now, but you as well. It's whatever. Continue. <laughs> so I listened to Kate talk about it as well. And I thought like you guys made really good points. But coming into this, basically the point I'm making is coming into a conversation with either of you, coming into listening to any radio show, I like to generate my own opinion about something before listening to it because otherwise you could be swayed and then I could come out here and talk about something. But regardless of that, I still like to listen to a lot of different shows and, and things like that because I just love hockey. I'm a nerd about it. It's what I do. So I'm going to close out with this. Jeff Merrick says that Zdeno Chara should win the Lady Bing every single year. And he says it not because of what he does on the ice, but it's because of what he can do to other teams and other players <laughs> and chooses not to. And with that, I'm going to say, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little hearts. Hockey is for everyone. And we out you.